The Fern Line is supported by the Alaska Rock Gym, providing quality indoor climbing to the Anchorage community since 1995. Alaska Rock Gym sports 20,000 square feet of climbing, an entire floor of boulder terrain, beautiful locker rooms, plus expanded cardio fitness and yoga rooms. Stop by any time to take a tour of the facility or check out the Alaska Rock Gym online at alaskarockgym.com. Hey Evan, did you hear that? Dude, it's a hoarding marmot. Looking for that last minute piece of kit before heading into the hills? Make sure and stop by the hoarding marmot. Anchorage's finest outdoor consignment shop located in the heart of Spinard. The Hoarding Marmot has everything you need from high-end mountaineering gear, cross-country and downhill ski equipment, as well as a fine selection of local guidebooks, maps, and yummy trail snacks. Stop by the Hoarding Marmot next time you roll through town or check them out online at hoardingmarmot.com. All right, let's get to the show. Hey friends, I'm Evan Phillips, and you're listening to The Fern Line, a podcast about the lives of mountain climbers. On each episode, I talk with alpinists and other outdoor enthusiasts who are pushing the limits of creativity in the mountains and in their daily lives. My goal is to have meaningful conversations with extraordinary people, the folks who choose to live full-value lifestyles in some of the most beautiful and wild regions on the planet. Well, hey, everyone, it's great to be back with you for another episode of The Fern Line. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to remind folks that if you enjoy this podcast, there's a few ways you can help out. Probably the best way to support the show is to become a monthly subscriber over on Patreon. Patreon subscribers get early access to episodes, stickers and original music that I produce, as well as other bonus content. The best part about Patreon is that you can kick down whatever dollar amount works for your budget, and it all goes to keeping this podcast up and running and going strong. So to become a subscriber, just head on over to patreon.com slash the Fernline, and you can sign up there. If you're looking for Fernline merch, you can check out the shop over at thefernline.com. You can find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and coffee mugs. And not only is this a great way to look cool at the crag, It's also a great way to support the podcast. And finally, you can leave a review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to tell someone directly because word of mouth promotion is the best way to get information circulating in our community. So tell your friends, your climbing partners, people you think might dig the fern line, let them know it's out there. All right, well, the time has come to grab your favorite beverage and get cozy on your couch, camp chair, or your bivy sack, nestled near a bubbling brook in the Wind River Mountains, and settle in for this episode of The Fern Line. Hey 
I try uh, pretty hard to book shows where I can also go have a little bit of fun and pretend I'm still a, a climbing bum. So like uh, last year I played the Ten Sleep Climbers Festival and so I could go play that festival and then hang out with a bunch of climbers and go climbing the next day or you know I plan my tour routing with a day off so I can go fishing in Yellowstone on my way to Bozeman. Unlike the others, bred from fear, but I'm not going back. No, I'm never going back. Once I leave, only if I ever leave, oh, Kentucky. On today's episode of The Fern Line, we'll get to know songwriter and mountain traveler Jason Tyler Burton. Growing up in a working-class family on the outskirts of Lexington, Kentucky, Burton was raised hearing the stories of his grandfather, who, like many Kentuckians of times past, worked hard to make a living in the nearby coal mines of Harlan County. Although Burton would take a much different career path, one thing he's carried with him throughout his life is an appreciation for the history culture, and simplicity of his Kentucky roots. This influence can be heard throughout Burton's new album, aptly titled Kentuckian. Spanning the genres of folk, alt-country, and bluegrass, Kentuckian is a musical commentary on the past, present, and future of rural life in Kentucky. Americana UK writes, Kentuckian is a straight-down-the-middle Americana roots album, full of all the delights of the genre, some stirring playing, acoustic rhythms and rhymes, some keening harmonies, strong blue-collar songwriting, all topped off by Tyler Burton's authentic voice. I recently got a chance to sit down with Jason and talk about his new album, the ups and downs of being a working musician, as well as his love for the mountains and living simply. All that today on The Fern Line. I've got aunts, I've got uncles, I've got 33 cousins. I've got grandmothers too I've got chores, I've got time And these hands, they should be mine My folks uh, were born in Kentucky and spent most of their lives there and left in, I guess I don't know exactly, uh, probably the uh, the 50s um, and went north on the Hillbilly Highway up to Michigan to find work. My dad didn't want to work in the in the coal mines like his, his dad had. Um, so, um, so they ran off up to Michigan, um, had five kids. I was the fifth of those five and I came along 10 years after the other four. So I was a, I hope pleasant surprise. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but, but when I was three years old, they decided to, uh, they decided to move, uh, back to Kentucky. They'd been wanting to, uh, for a while and finally just made it, made it happen. And so I spent most of my life in, in Kentucky from the time I was three years old until, uh, when I moved out West. So where, where did you grow up in Kentucky? So I grew up in the Lexington area nice. uh, and outside and outside of Lexington, which was, which was cool. Uh, my folks were from, um, my dad had grown up in a coal camp in Harlan County, Kentucky. Um, and, uh, but when they moved back uh, work-wise, it made more sense to be in a little bit bigger town. So I went to elementary school in Lexington and high school in a little town called Winchester, um, uh, which is the home of 
a light one soft drink. So any anybody that's been to Miguel's uh, Pizza in the Red River Gorge has had one of those probably. Um, and uh, so I grew up those places, and then I, I went to school in Richmond, Kentucky. So all in central Kentucky. Right. right. Yeah. So you, so you have like deep family roots in Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And is your family still there? Most of my family's still there. I have one brother that's in in Michigan, um, but everybody else is still in that that area of central Kentucky or down in southeastern Kentucky in the foothills of right. Appalachia there. So. And so you you just mentioned the Hillbilly Highway. Um can you talk about what that is? Yeah, um so in in that time period um lots of industrialization going on lots of manufacturing jobs were happening up north and they drew a lot of people from uh rural areas in kentucky where uh coal jobs were were already becoming somewhat scarce at that time and um or people that didn't want to work in the coal mines um, forever uh, were lured north uh, with the prospect of a, a brighter future than working in in coal mines and they ended up uh, working in a lot of manufacturing settings, um, you know, building cars or working in steel plants, um, those kind of things. And just, um, the, they come actually recruit people from these rural areas with the appeal of jobs to come north on, on the hillbilly highway, as they called it. And as Steve Earle wrote a song about, so, you know, I follow you on social media and, you know, obviously, like, I'm always interested in, see, you know, seeing my musical peers out there doing things. So I've just been kind of watching you right. the last year. But I had noticed kind of during this process, you really talked and expressed about how proud you felt about this batch of songs. Um, it seems like there's like an energy around you around this record. And I guess I was just hoping you could talk about that a little bit. My last record um, that came out in uh, 2017, so two years ago, um, was a weird one for me. And while I, I like that record, I almost didn't release it. I almost didn't put it out. It's called Lost Behind the Ranges. And um, I still love some of those songs. But um, there was something about that collection of songs in the recording process was a little bit hurried, a little bit rushed, did it on my own kind of at home, had somebody else mix it, but did it all um, kind of self-recorded. And there was just something about it that, that I was not quite happy with that I couldn't put my finger on, um, almost didn't release it. Um, but then decided, you know, I put all this work into it that I should put it out in the world, but I didn't, I didn't promote it all that much. I didn't do a very good job. I guess I maybe didn't believe in that record for some reason, um, as much. And, and so afterwards I, you know, tried to figure out why, and I kind of felt maybe it was a, a strong songwriting rut that I was in. Um, and so I kind of gave myself a challenge of, of writing, in a different way. Um, and when I picked Kentucky as my setting, um, which I didn't really know I was doing at the beginning of the process of writing the songs that became the new album, I, um, uh, I really like decided to do more work, um, to, instead of just, I think my songwriting process had been, I'm going to write a song and when it's done, it's done, it's great. And, 
you know, whatever the, uh, whatever that was, but I wasn't very good at self editing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think with this record, one of my big deals was that I was going to spend as much time as the song needed to get it right. And to make sure that I was happy with the songs, um, at the end of the process, instead of just saying, here's, here's what the muse or whatever gave me that I was going to put in a little bit more work on these songs and do, and do the work. And so, I think this collection of songs, which are nine originals and one cover, I I felt like I worked harder on the writing uh, for them. And I think maybe that putting in that effort and that work and being uh, more self-critical in a lot of ways of like, does this line make sense? Does this line hold up? Um, is this a coherent message? Are people going to get what I'm talking about? Are the songs, do they, uh, are they trying to do what I'm, wishing for with this record um was a big a big deal to me and that might be the reason i'm prouder of these is because i actually was willing to do more of the work required to right uh, make them good if right. that makes if that makes sense. yeah i mean it sounds like uh well i mean i i completely understand what you're talking about I, sure i mean yeah. I, t- I totally get it i totally understand and um in my mind, I think the the way I always kind of joke with my friends about that kind of thing is it's it's almost like a blue collar mentality is like, you know, I'll, I'll, sometimes, you know, you can sit down and in five minutes you have just written a song that has all the elements that you want. It's got like right. a hook. It right. works for your voice. It's the core. Everything just works. But most times that doesn't happen. And, right. Exactly. And, and like you really do have to kind of say okay well i'm gonna have to sit down and actually do the work i might have to like bang my head against the <laughs> table here for a while uh it sounds like that was maybe the process you took but it sounds like it paid off for you it it, it did at least in and because my happiness with the record we'll see how it goes with right. uh, what other people think of it but i definitely am more excited about uh getting this set of songs out there so right so yeah, it definitely it definitely feels feels like a better a better way to do it. I think it was almost a mindset uh, kind of deal where I had to switch to say like, hey, maybe this song isn't as you know the first draft or even the second draft or whatever is maybe not it's not there yet, and that's okay. Like that it was worth worth the time and effort uh, to get to get them where they needed to be. Right. So, so the album's called. Uh, Kentuckian. That is correct. And uh, and so you talked about like that. Essentially, there obviously this record has a theme. And mm-hmm. how did that come together for you? I, in a weird way, start, I started writing these songs after um, after the Trump election. Uh, I was in Kentucky um, on election day in 2016, um, and I had just gone on election day itself. Went to the went down climbing in the Red River Gorge and, you know, turned off the phone for the day and, um, and then, uh, woke up to, to news that I didn't consider all that great. Um, but I, you know, my parents who I was staying with while I was in Kentucky, uh, had voted for him and they were happy and lots of my family and people, people there had, had definitely, uh, voted that, that direction. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be mad at them, which is 
you know, that seems to be what we do these days is just get mad at people um, for disagreeing with us. <laughs> and so I didn't want to do that, which is much easier to do with your parents than it is with, you know, random strangers on mm -hmm. Facebook. Um, but so I wanted to approach some, uh, like, why, why, why did rural America make this decision? Um, and so while I don't, the album is not a political record, uh, in any stretch, and I don't think it's an anti-Trump record. Um, I just started writing songs with an, uh, an ear toward maybe trying to understand, uh, why. And so it's a rural record, um, that I just happened to use what I knew, uh, which was Kentucky, as as the setting for the songs, so I think that was kind of the the start of it, um, and because I think I feel like it was rural America by and large that that affected the election uh, as it as it happened, and um, so I wanted to approach approach these songs from a place of empathy, um, and there's a few songs that are that would probably uh, cross that that political spectrum, uh, but none of them with. Um, any kind of, I, I hope uh, there's no, there's really no hidden agenda in them. Right. It's really just, just, a just trying to understand. Right. So you, you just mentioned approaching these songs, you know, kind of like with empathy. What, what's a song on the record that you think, um, uh, <laughs> I, I guess embodies yeah, I can, that. I can, I can totally, um, uh, Hillbilly's Lament. It's a song about a, a guy that um, I kind of used to, I grew up in right across the river from Fort Boonesboro in Kentucky. So Daniel Boone's original fort there. Um, I grew up right across the Kentucky River from that. Um, and down um, down the Kentucky River um, uh, from my house was uh, a coal-fired power plant um, that I uh, rode the school bus by uh, as a kid. And... Um, that was the primary source of income for that town. And uh, as coal died out, that, that coal-fired power plant is now actually shut down and scheduled for demolition. The gas is full with pride. unions And, you know, people have lost jobs there. Um, so the promises made of like we're going to bring coal back or we're going to bring jobs back is um, very much a I can understand the allure of that. So, um, but the interesting thing is those same folks um, probably uh, back in the day um, probably uh, voted Democrat because of unions that protected workers. Use a little trickle down low, low. She cast a vote with fear From all the news she hears oh. So I think, you know, that song is about people Almost like people are voting based on their their self-interest and they're seeing the world change around them in ways that they don't like and and they want they want to get it back i had a really um hard time staying in that empathy mode on that song um 
uh, the the song talks about how hard um, this this person's life has been their entire life, and yet at the end talks about getting back to um, the golden days that are long gone. Um, because I think we kind of a lot of times we'll feel nostalgic for a time that never was. Um, so a lot of uh, nostalgia there for maybe um, uh, a past that has been glorified in their mind that maybe never really and truly existed. So it was, it was hard for me not to put a dig in at the end of that song, right. but I, I somehow refrained. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, What's your, what's your favorite song on the album? Um, the, the first one is, is um, High Road to Harlan is probably my, my favorite song. Uh, it was one of the first ones I wrote for the record. Um, I just like the feel of it a lot. And uh, it might be a little overly uh, serious, but it is, uh, um, it is probably my favorite just to, to play play live especially with the band is a lot of fun and i um, kind of was joined by some remarkable musicians on that song um ben plotnick uh, added fiddle and he's uh, an award-winning fiddle player based out of nashville these days um that just killed it went went all the way but like just an amazing fiddle player and did a great job and i played the mandolin on that song and Coming nice. up with the with the mandolin hook on that was a lot of fun. So it was just a, a not just a fun song to write, but a, a really fun song to record. Names on my family grades. Eighty five, I ain't making any new memories. Just trying hard not to let these old ones fade. Oh, don't you let these old ones fade. So I wanted to uh, ask you about the recording process. I, you know, I had kind of been watching you do the recording, and um, how was the recording process different um, this time as opposed to your last record? Well, um, this time I, after my experience with the last one, and maybe thinking that part of the reason I didn't love that record as much uh, was that I had done all the you know, push the button, push the record button as well as played most of the instruments. Um, the fiddle that I played on that record is not quite as in tune as Ben's that you just yeah. talked about. Um, and, and so I, um, I embody that very much. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, there happens to be, uh, another musician here in Wyoming and I live in Pinedale, which is, you know, 2000 people in this little town. And, but we're, we're an hour or so South of Jackson and a friend of mine, who's also a, uh, uh, expat Kentuckian um, who plays music up there. His name's Aaron Davis, has a recording studio in his house um, and has been recording some bands uh, up there. And so he agreed to work with me on the project, especially when, you know, we talked about it being a bunch of Kentucky songs. And, um, and that was just um, super freeing. And he's got a great ear and he's very, you know, like wanted to know exactly what I was going for and, you know, walking into the studio with the mic set up and him ready to go was, uh, that was a fantastic process, um, to have somebody else uh, kind of push the buttons for me and uh, give some critique. Um, did some of it live, um, 
with with bass and drums as well, which was really nice. Instead of doing all the extensive overdubs, but then a lot of the overdub stuff, um, which I think is a fascinating part of the world that we live in. You know, you and I are talking. I'm in Wyoming, and you're in Alaska, and here we are right. uh, having a conversation like we're in the same room. And um, beautiful thing is that I can then send those files off to uh, to Nashville, Tennessee, and have this amazing fiddle player um, put parts on and cello and backing vocals and um, and then send it off to Southern Utah uh, for, for mixing uh, where Ryan Tilby did an amazing job mixing it, but he also added uh, banjo and mandolin and dobro and bass and just he's a, an incredible um, mixer engineer as well as musician. So to be able to, to do that, um, is, is just, uh, I kind of blows my mind still that we're, we're capable of doing that. So. Right. You've mentioned to me before that maybe you've gone through a period recently, maybe in the last couple of years where you've kind of had to maybe wrestle with, you know, where does being an independent musician, <laughs> you know, fit into my life? Sure. Because um, it, you know, it, 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 it's a tough, it's, it's not just a tough way to make a living. It's kind of a tough life um, it is, yeah, to, right? to be a touring musician and to be an independent musician and to be a musician, period. Sure. He travels around and plays shows. But talk about that process for you a little bit and maybe kind of where you're at with that in your life right now. That's a fantastic question um, because I'm, I'm I still wrestle with it kind of on a on a daily basis. I have a I have a pretty amazing day job these days that I really enjoy um, and I, uh, I and I I love it. I love where I get to live because of that day job. But my love for songwriting and playing music is uh, is equal uh, to that. So it is a it is a thing I kind of wrestle with. People say, you know, you should follow your passion or you know bring your passion to what you do and i i try to do that um i'm just still a little bit torn um, on on where to go with that and as i've gotten older too like i you know used to be like getting in a van and going and playing dingy clubs was uh a lot of a lot of fun and right you know, and and worth worth a lot of the effort but now i kind of like sleeping in my bed and i <laughs> uh you know um and i don't uh like spending time uh, around the house and, uh, and doing projects there, and and so it's a, it's definitely a, a tricky balance, um, especially since these days you can't really make a living uh, selling music. You have to, really the way to make money um, is to tour and to get out and play shows. Um, since streaming uh, platforms don't don't pay all that well, it's still amazing. I I you know I, I love the fact that I can you know, see that so many thousands of people have listened to, uh, the new record already on streaming platforms, uh, since it came out and, um, love the fact that the, the songs are being heard and that it's easy for people to hear them. You know, they can talk to their, you know, talk to their smart speaker or whatever. And all of a sudden my music is playing in their house and that, that is an amazing thing, but it doesn't necessarily always uh, pay all that lucratively. Um, so, uh, getting out and playing shows is still important. Um, I try uh, pretty hard to book shows where I can also go have a little bit of fun and pretend I'm still a, a climbing bum. So like uh, last year I played the 
10 Sleep Climbers Festival. And so I could go play that festival and then hang out with a bunch of climbers and go climbing the next day. Or, you know, I plan my tour routing with a day off so I can go fishing in Yellowstone on my way to Bozeman, you know, <laughs> if I want to do something like that. So um, to kind of break up some of that just, you know, load in, play a show, you know, spend the night in a in a hotel or on somebody's floor and then drive to the next place. I, I try to break that up a little bit um, so that I, I can um, have some time to recreate in there as well because that's, that's super important to me. Um, but I'm not in a place at the moment where I'd be willing to, to, to leave my day job. Um, and I'm not saying that I, I couldn't get there. And I think that uh, the work that I'm putting in on this record is is almost like a challenge to myself to make myself make to that decision to get to a kind of a tipping point where I'm like, okay, if you're going to go any further with this or keep the momentum up, you, um, you're going to have to make a decision, um, on, on what you're going to, what you're going to do. Um, which is, uh, a little bit weird. I'm, I'm 47 years old and the idea of, uh, quitting the day job to go pursue a life of music sounds a little, uh, uh, little Peter Panish, uh, that I know, you know, uh, but, but, but at the same time, if it, um, if it's a fulfilling thing, uh, for me, then it, uh, then I, yeah, might, might give it a go again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we live in a very interesting time in, in this country specifically. Um, but I guess just in general with technology and the way, obviously like, uh, the whole idea of the, I guess the workforce and the nine to five job, I mean, it's shifting and there's, sure. yep. it seems like there's one of the good things about, uh, you know, living now is that there's, there's options and there's, there's lots of, right. there's different ways that you can put things together sure. to find, uh, I guess, hopefully some kind of balance And it. It sounds like maybe um, that's kind of what you're, you're, you know, you're seeing if you can do is fo- yeah, to try and find totally. a life that's balanced yep. with the things that you, that you're really passionate about. And totally also sounds like a, jo- a job that you actually have right now that you enjoy. Um, yeah. It's not like I'm working uh, a job that I hate in order to pay the bills. So that's, that's, that's a, that's a, uh, I, that's, I couldn't ask for more. Can I, can I ask what your day job is? Sure. I am a, I'm a, we've got a, um, in our tiny little town here, we have a, um, a recreation center that um, has a indoor climbing wall and two pools and you know indoor running track and I manage all the the recreation programs for youth and adults so I'm kind of supervising awesome. staff so I get to I get to oversee adult basketball league peewee football um, and then but I also do like outdoor outdoor programs and take kids out climbing and we have an indoor climbing wall. So I still get to route set, um, and, um, do some outdoor trips, um, with kids and take them rafting on the snake river or, you know, those kind of things. And that's just a, uh, it's a pretty fantastic, um, my undergrad, uh, degree is in outdoor recreation. And so, uh, to be using one of my degrees as well as, uh, get to live in Wyoming and, and do a couple of things that I love. That's yeah, pretty, pretty spectacular. And I don't want to take that for granted in yeah. any way, shape or form. Yeah. Right. So how did you end up in Pinedale? Well, I, um, I came out on a, a climbing trip to the wind rivers and, um, 2000 or 2001, 2001, I came out on a, 
uh, a climbing trip to to go into the winds and went in the circuit towers and uh, climbed Pingora, came out, um, was going to go up to the Tetons and Yellowstone, but stopped in the little town of Pinedale on the way and had dinner and kind of just fell in love with this little sleepy uh, mountain town right at the base of the winds and definitely fell in love with the winds and um, started coming out um, to go climbing in the, in the mountains here every, every summer after that, I was working at a university back in Kentucky at the time. And so I had some time in the summer to travel and I would, um, come out and go climbing in the winds and then spend a little time in Pinedale. And, um, when they, when they built the, the rec center here, it was like, Oh, cool. I could use my, my degree and do what I do and, and do it in Pinedale. So decided to make the leap. Um, and then, off and on in that though, my, uh, my wife was a, uh, a park ranger. So spent a little bit of time down in Zion national park and then over in Sequoia national park. Um, but I've been back, uh, in Pinedale for about four years at this point, um, full time. So that's very cool. Yeah. I, I like that story. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. <laughs> talk about, talk about sound, something happening organically. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, that's interesting that your wife so she was a park ranger down in zion she was yeah wow. yeah she um she worked as a seasonal park ranger there for a little while um i was uh in back in 2007 um she was a seasonal park ranger there and i was a uh canyoneering and climbing guide in in springdale and, and that was before we moved uh to pinedale the first time and tried it out um but uh and then i went back to grad school in kentucky actually and 2010 to 2012 and then um and uh, right after grad school was finished she got a, a permanent uh job there which you know those uh, permanent park ranger jobs are things you don't you don't really turn down um if that's uh, what you're looking for and so we went back to zion um for for a couple years uh, almost three i guess and um and i i worked seasonally then as a as a interp ranger and um and then played music uh the other the other amount of time and that was that was a really cool um existence but um the parks are getting busy man uh down here i i don't know about up there but um zion yellowstone tetons rocky mountain yosemite are all just so much increase in visitation that mm -hmm. we um and we also realized that on park rangers and musicians' salary, we were never going to be able to afford a house um, in any of the towns that are outside of national parks where we were living. Right. Um, and so we um, just decided to to get out of it for now. Um, there might be a time uh, that we would go back to to that that life, but not at the moment. So, I would imagine that your music, you know, is influenced by. Um, you know, your love for the outdoors and in the places that you are. And um, can you talk about how those two things feed off each other and how the outdoors inspire your songwriting and vice versa? Sure. Um, and I'll go back to that thing I said earlier about kind of just I would write songs just as, you know, as they came to me. Like And like you said, sometimes five minutes later, you're like, oh, cool, I wrote a right. complete a complete effort but most right. of the time it's like three years later you you get you get it done um but um i uh sometimes i i you know would go pay attention and be like okay you really cannot use 
you can't mention rivers anymore. All right. <laughs> like, so Jason, Jason, no more rivers in the next like right. 10 songs. Right. Okay. Which right. didn't work. Uh, right. Cause they're still, they're still everywhere um, <laughs> in there, but absolutely um, cannot uh, help that the, the landscape influences um, what I write for sure. Um, and I would say actually my first, um, my first couple albums, uh, the album Headwaters, um, speaking of rivers, um, is absolutely a, you know, kind of a Western, um, very much a Wyoming and Utah record as far as like the, the landscape in there, you know, reviews, reviews for my records, if I'm aware of it or not, will always say like, this is the perfect for a, a, a road trip out West or, you know, those kind of things. As far as the, the, the flip of that, um, I don't write when I'm, um, I'm, I'm out really, um, doing anything else. I, you know, one of the reasons I like, uh, climbing is that kind of that flow state of, of just being fully present in that, in that moment. So, mm -hmm. um, but it is a nice, it's a nice, really a reset, um, for me, which is fantastic. Uh, right. Fly fishing and climbing for me are kind of like resets. I'm not really thinking about anything else while I'm doing those things. Um, I did write a song, um, one of my most popular songs is called The Waltz from that album, Headwaters. And I wrote it when I was uh, I was a seasonal ranger up in Yellowstone. And um, I would go walking uh, trails alone. And, of course, you know, you don't want to get eaten by a grizzly bear, so you sing. And I actually wrote that song while, while hiking. Um, and I didn't get eaten by a bear. So it's uh, if you sing that song while you're hiking in Yellowstone, it's good bear deterrent um so um and so a little bit of that happens um but definitely the landscape seeps its way into my songs whether i whether i like it or not so i want i wanted to ask you talk to you a little bit about climbing since apparently i have a climbing podcast yeah something like that yeah. <laughs> um but yeah like talk, talk about how you uh like how that first started happening for you. Like when did you first get into climbing? Holy cow. Um, I remember, I remember going to, I think it was, shoot, it must've been early eighties, um, going on a, a trip to the, to the Red River Gorge and, um, being, uh, at, I think maybe chimney top rock, um, and seeing some people, uh, climbing and thinking, whoa, that looks really crazy and cool. And then in my teenage years, I became a repeller because that was a, a lower barrier to entry. And there was some um, old rock quarry near uh, where I lived um, down by Boonesboro there that um, I got some old army, went to army surplus store. And um, I actually cut a... Uh, seat belt out of an old pickup truck this is so kentucky man uh there is we had an old uh deceased pit pickup truck in the yard and i cut a seat belt out of that thing and um used my mom had an upholstery business and i used her big industrial strength sewing machine to sew my own harness um <laughs> Dude. And, and and bought a couple you know I'm using air quotes here, snap links from the army surplus right, store right. Um, and some old uh, army green line and repelled off a, a hundred foot cliff and didn't die. Somehow. That's hardcore. Um, somehow did not <laughs> die. Um, uh, pretty quickly did not realize I did not trust my own stitching on that harness um, and went and 
and went and bought. Uh, definitely, I already told you how old I am, so it won't hurt me to say I bought a Chenard harness. Right. Um, and um, had a Chenard harness and a figure eight. And then eventually went down to the Red River Gorge as soon as I could drive, as soon as I was 16. Um, I would get a whoever was available um, to, to go to the Red River Gorge with me and um, teach them how to how to belay and uh, mostly top rope a few things, but slowly but surely started growing a, uh, you know, a, a rack. Um, so I could actually climb a little bit. And that was in the, that would have been in the late eighties, um, handful of climbers in the red at that time. And right at the late eighties, early nineties, um, kind of like when the sport climbing thing took over, uh, in the, in the gorge. Um, uh, yeah, and so just kept doing that for for loved the scene. It was a really um, Red River Gorge has a really unique um, climbing community, or did back at that time. But it was an incredibly close knit and friendly, and um, everybody knew everybody, and we all hung out at Miguel's and um, and went climbing, and then got back together at the end of the night and talked about what we did that day. So yeah. That was uh, that was my my start, and um, and then got my first taste of like multi pitch climbing. Um, well, there's a tiny bit of it in in the Red River Gorge. Um, this route, Foxfire, which is my um, one of my favorites there, uh, which is this kind of wandering, um, not even rock climb. It's more of a gravel for most of it, with a, a few moves of. A, a few moves of, of rock climbing actually. So it's an, uh, it's an adventure climb. It's an adventure climb. Yeah. And it is, it's pretty cool. But, um, that got kind of gave me a taste for, for getting to the top of something, um, instead of just to a arbitrary set of anchors, you know, 50 feet up a, <laughs> a pocketed wall. Um, and they went over to Seneca rocks in West Virginia and did some multi-pitch over there. Um, which inspired me to start looking for places to come out West. Um, I, um, am a, I was never been a really good climber. I've always been, uh, uh, kind of like my current state of musicianness of being a, a hobbyist. I was always, a kind of a hobbyist climber. I just wanted to go climb, um, as many, as many pitches as I could and if they were fun and easy that was all the better um so the wind rivers the wind rivers have you know one of my probably the favorite my favorite rock climb I've ever done is the north of red of Ellingwood in the in the winds which is you know 10 to 12 pitches of five six and it's just spectacular um and there's so much of that in the winds um where you know living in living down in Zion, if you want to free climb anything, you, you, you gotta be pretty strong. And so the, the, the Alpine rock here just always has, uh, been way my, way more my, my forte. So you, I mean, you've, you've mentioned the winds, um, a couple times. I mean, what, what is it about the winds that you find so appealing? I mean, it sounds like it almost, it almost drew you to move to Pinedale. Oh yeah, totally. Um, and it, and it's still, you know, that's, I would, while I like my job here and I like the town, um, the, the mountains are definitely why I wanted to live here. <laughs> and so, um, I don't know, ex I don't know how to explain it other than it is, it feels, it feels remote. Like I, I think you can be in the middle of 
the the winds and some of the remote cirques and feel like you're you know in in alaska or patagonia and just feel like you're far more remote from civilization than you actually are so you know i could go to the circle of uh the unclimbables but that would be a lot of effort <laughs> or i can go to the circuit towers and i can drive to the trailhead with an hour and a half from my house so um and i don't know there's just it's so big and so expansive and um i i just i love the the quality of the rock uh the granite is spectacular um and then once i moved to wyoming i became a, a fly fisherman i think that is like you know part of the part of the entrance entrance exam uh is to um learn to fly fish and um and so the winds has uh, remarkable rivers and lakes and uh fantastic peaks as well so you know there's uh, it's really easy uh, to love it here there, there can be there can be two or three hundred cars at a trailhead but once you're five or six miles in you're you're totally totally good right so it sounds like you grew up around Lexington, which is, you know, obviously like a, I would, I would, I would call it a pretty hip little city. Um, yeah, it is. It is now for sure. But yeah. it's, but it sounds like, I mean, I'm wondering, do you think that you're kind of drawn to a more kind of quiet rural life? Yeah. And I, and you know, my years in Lexington, it was a very, fairly rural place then and it's grown significantly since I lived there. Um, and then the little towns I grew up in, I, I just really liked, uh, that kind of quiet sleepiness of them. I, um, I get a lot of anxiety when I go to a city, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Me too, from, actually. From driving around to, to whatever, like, uh, definitely is not, um, that's not my thing. Um, I don't, I don't know. I've always, I've never really tried, uh, a big city, uh, to live in, but, um, but I definitely really appreciate, uh, rural communities. I like having like my little town is a lot of people complain about our restaurant choices, but man, I like only having to make a decision between three different things. <laughs> so, right. Um, so it's kind of, a, I don't know, it suits my, suits my personality. There, yeah. There's some practical benefits to simplicity. There, yeah, it's uh, sometimes I wish I was a little closer to a, a major airport um, from the travel standpoint, but um, yeah, the very much practical benefits to living in uh, rural life for sure. Cool. Um, I just have a, a couple couple more things I wanted to touch on, but so getting back to your song, so you kind of mentioned that Hillbilly's Lament was you know, kind of a, you know, a look at kind of maybe rural Kentucky through maybe a, a political lens or a modern lens. And then you talk about that High Road to Harlan is maybe your favorite song. Is there a song on the record where you feel like artistically with, you know, the lyrics and the melody and all of the musical elements that you put together um, that you just feel really happy with uh, from an artistic standpoint? I think the one that would jump out at me immediately would be uh, easy for me. I got this weird review on my Headwaters album where a guy 
It was probably like the happiest I'd been about a review and the saddest I'd been about a review at the same time. <laughs> um, because this guy said that, and I, I still remember it pretty well. It's like, had this album been released in the late 60s, this guy would probably be a legend um, like John Prine became. And so to get compared to John Prine is on one hand fantastic, but be told you're, you know, 50 years too late is not as fantastic. Right. Um, uh, but, but that John Prine comparison, for some reason, I had been, I'd considered myself more of a serious songwriter. Um, so I had all these like, really like, you know, navel gazing kind of like serious folk songs. And, um, and that really kind of, for some reason, f felt I felt some freedom to explore a little bit that it's okay to have a little bit of humor. Make him burgers and license plates. Sign my check at the liquor store. And so, um, the easy for me might be the the one that kind of. Uh, gets closest to my true self is from an artistic standpoint as far as like uh, being able to laugh um, but also be serious in the same song take it easy on me when she was drinking boys you know it also has some uh, you know, I like the melody. I like how the recording process turned out. Um, and generally, I, in general, I like some of the, you know, the wordplay in there that is, is kind of nice. Um, so yeah, I think that one might be the one that I uh, ended up happiest about artistically. Um, I've had people come up to me um, afterwards. So the, the first line of the song is, um, she was never all that good at math. And that always made me laugh. But I should have seen it as a sign of what was to come when she said I was her only one. Um, and I've had people come up to me afterwards and say, you know, that they like that I'm putting like dad jokes in my right. songs now. Um, so, uh, so, um, and that, that actually makes me, makes me quite happy um, because the song is still, you know, First of all, it makes me happy that people are listening well enough to, to come up after the, after a set and say, hey, I like that dad joke you put in that one song. Yeah. Um, and, but also just, yeah, just really liked how that one turned out. Cool. Easy for me. I said, oh, you know change don't come. Easy for me. So who are some um, songwriters um, that inspire you kind of in your day-to-day -day life? I think that's, that's trickier. I, I gravitate a lot of times and when I'm feeling 
like I don't I don't know about you, but there are some times that I man, I want people to listen to new music and that to include me. But there are times that I have no interest in trying to discover new music. I just want to listen no, to the stuff, totally. stuff that I just want to listen to the stuff that I know uh, and love and that I know that I'm going to like listening to. So I gravitate back towards um, some of those, those classic songwriters like, like, like John Prine is a, is definitely one of those. And, you know, it's, it's, it'd be way too easy to, you know, do the, the, the John Prine and Guy Clark and Towns Van Zant and some of those, those Texas songwriters that I, that I like a lot. Um, but, but that's, but that is the case. That's kind of what I, I gravitate toward the most. Um, more recently, I think, I think, mandolin orange um i think that their song wildfires is one of the the best things to come out in years um i really love the new joe pug record um uh, i think he's a he's one of those those songwriter songwriters um and he's and i'm sure you listen to his podcast oh yeah love love the working songwriter Yeah. yeah he is he's something else yeah yeah how he puts that all together is is fantastic yeah um, so, and then, you know, I've been, I've been keeping up with, um, I think, you know, I started writing this Kentucky album a couple of years ago, but there's in the last couple of years, there's been like a, a rash of, of Kentucky musicians that have, um, come along like Tyler Childers is fantastic. You know, you know, of course everybody knows Sturgill Simpson and mm-hmm. uh, Chris Stapleton. Um, are they, they're so. from Kentucky? They are from yeah, Kentucky. I didn't know that. Um, actually, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, when I used to work at a university in in, in Kentucky, um, some of the student workers there um, came to one of my shows, and they so they were uh, climbing wall staff and things, and they came to one of my shows, and this girl came up to me um, after the show, and she was like, "I really enjoyed your music," and. I have a brother. My brother's in, in Nashville trying to make it as a musician right now. And I was like, oh, Nashville's a tough town. Good luck to him. Her name, uh, and her name was uh, Melanie Stapleton. Yeah. Uh, Chris, Chris Stapleton's her, her brother. Yeah. So he's, he's doing okay. Yeah, um, he's doing just fine. I, th- I think he did okay. <laughs> so, that's funny. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of like some of the contemporary stuff that I've been listening to quite a bit and of course um jason isbel i think is maybe the best songwriter working today i think he's absolutely uh fantastic and have liked him since the drive-by truckers days so nice i i was fortunate actually i've been very fortunate i got to see jason isbel when he was with the truckers i got to i got to see him when he was hammered drunk with the 400 unit and then i got to um, actually sober. open for him and his oh, band, wow. uh, you, you know, this is years ago now, but sure. in Alaska when they were, when he was sober. So I've, I've, seen, I've kind of seen his whole, <laughs> right. The whole, all iterations of yeah. Jason as well. Nice. But man, I remember, um, God, I could just go off on a tangent talking about like the drive by truckers, but I just, you talk about a life changing moment for me, um, I saw them in San Francisco at a club called Bottom of the Hill. It was probably 2003 or four, and I had never been to a rock show like that. Right. And it was like three electric guitars, wall of sound, and I just completely walked out of there with my face melted and and was like, that's what I want to do. 
you know, totally. <laughs> I, I totally mean, get it. Yeah. Yeah. He he and it's funny, he's like this amazing songwriter, but maybe the people recently who have discovered him as a songwriter might not know that he is an unbelievable guitar player. Oh too. my goodness. Yeah. Like I've um I think there's like a he does he does his trucker song Danko Manuel on um he did it on Austin City Limits. <laughs> and um and I love that song first of all, but the version on Austin City Limits, he just goes off on a slide solo and I think <laughs> that I think it on YouTube it has like, you know, however many five million views and I maybe two million of those are mine just right. because I could listen to that all day. Yeah, because like you said, it is just yeah, once you once you once you realize what a musician he is as well, it's like incredible. Yeah, and his sl- his slide playing is I mean, he has his own thing. Yeah, he's like Mike, he's like player. Mike Campbell yeah. or somebody. He totally That's, has his own style. Right. Yep. Which is pretty hard to do, you know. Right. And I think he said that he emulated Bonnie Raitt, but he definitely made it his own. Which right. Is cool. So. Very cool. Um, so, like, a, uh, on the flip side, you know, we haven't talked a lot about climbing, which was my plan, actually. I kind of just nice. wanted to geek out <laughs> about music stuff, um, which luckily I can because it's my podcast and I can do whatever I want. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, but I wanted to ask you, like, on the on the flip side, like, who are some people – kind of in the in the mountain community like they could be climbers or they could be um just people who 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 live in that realm in that world that have inspired you or inspire you today who that's that might be a harder question um and my what i gravitate toward is friends um <laughs> like my my friend chris hampton um who i used to climb with back in kentucky who as the has the power company, uh, climbing podcast and he's fantastic. Um, and, and he's just like super motivational from like, not only like a, like a climbing perspective, but he's super motivational from like a, like a hustle perspective, like to just get after all the things all the time and, and do that. And I really appreciate, uh, appreciate him. Um, and, uh, Brendan Leonard, um, semi rad, um, is uh another friend who um is is super inspirational as far as like um his his success um because i think you know you you see a lot of people that are successful and you think wow i've not heard of them before so they must be an overnight success Um, but if you've known them for a long time or if you follow them for a long time you, you see this kind of wonderful like slow growth thing happening that is very organic and and really the best way it's really the best way um, to have that kind of natural organic uh growth so you're not kind of just all of a sudden overwhelmed um right uh, and um, yeah those guys i um love um i've been fortunate enough to have um a bunch of my songs featured in the dirtbag diaries so um fitz and fitz and becca um with duct taped and beer and the dirtbag diaries are awesome inspirations as far as that kind of stuff goes. So, um, as far as the community goes, that's kind of, uh, folks that I, I gravitate toward. And then I love, I know you did an interview with, with, with Kathy. Um, and, and, you know, I, I just find her 
work ethic as far as like just getting after it and being yeah. like, I know nothing about sound editing, but I'm going to make a podcast yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to talk to people. And then, then what comes out is like, wow, that's absolutely just what we needed and the world needed right now. Thank you so much for doing it. Like, yeah, some of those folks are really the people that inspire me. Not maybe not so much for as much for their climbing, um, as for, you know, the hustle that I see them doing on the right. side. Right. Yeah. Very, very cool. And man. you, dude, you've got a podcast and you put out, you, you know, and I'm, I know the secret is that you really just do the podcast so that you can write the theme music for yeah. it. Uh, so. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Actually, the, the, yeah, the podcast has turned into something that it's just something that I feel like I have to keep doing. I love doing it, obviously. Like I love sure, having the, the chats, but it's. Yeah, you talk about a, um, something that's opened up a lot of opportunities in my life. Sure. Um, you know, the, just getting to have random conversations and, you know, uh, you know, meet people like you, you know, meet sure. people like Kathy. Um, but also and, talk to Steve House, you know, and like yeah. these kind of you know, legends and monsters. So, yeah. I really appreciate you, you saying that because it's obviously it's, to- it's totally the way my life has been. It's just a, it's a slow burn, kind of a slow evolution. And, sure. and I think that that, you know, what you're talking about and touching on is that that is the reality of most people's lives that work harder to craft is it doesn't happen overnight. Right. And there's a lot of adversity and there's a lot of failures along the sure. way. Absolutely. And a lot of like self doubt and questioning and, um, yeah, I've had to make myself not talk more in this interview just because I relate to so many things you've touched <laughs> right? on. <laughs> sure, absolutely. But so. um but yeah, it's it, it's inspiring to chat with you. I can I can tell that you're in a good place and you're really proud of your new record and Totally. You know, you know everybody's lives ha- you know aren't perfect, but from my standpoint looking on the outside, looking in at your life, it, it looks like you have uh, achieved a pretty cool balance. At the at the moment, it feels it feels it feels great for sure. Um, and and you know, is I I keep waiting for the you know the shoe to drop, but um, right. <laughs> but, but it, I, I definitely my wife and I talk about it all the time that we feel like we're we've been living a, a pretty charmed life um, uh, for a while. And, and like you said, every there's always there's heartaches uh, with all of it. Um, right. And, and, you know, sending out booking emails and, um, not getting told no, but just getting outright ignored, just no reply. you know, is, 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 is a, an incredibly, uh, difficult thing to, to kind of, to deal with, but you know, everybody deals with that. And, mm-hmm. and there's something about like, and I think to bring it back to climbing, if, you know, life lessons from climbing, not to get, uh, too too in the weeds with that kind of thing but you know the the idea of like if you climb everything on your first try you're not trying hard enough mm-hmm. um so having some failures along the way kind of like uh, becomes kind of part of uh the process and you as long as you're if you think about it from a, a growth mindset kind of place where i can what can i learn from this and how can i how can i change my email pitch to maybe get a response from this person next time instead of right. saying like I must be, I must be horrible or I failed or whatever. So that, um, is a, it's kind of a, a cool, a cool thing to be able to, to bring back to that. I have to treat everything like it's a, uh, I'm projecting something. <laughs> so, so. Hey, 
you be kind to those who are not your kind and don't listen to anybody whose gospel leaves room for hate because loving your enemy all right, well, thanks for hanging out with me today. I hope you got as much out of Jason's stories as I did. And I hope you can apply some of his life wisdom to your next creative or outdoor adventure in the mountains. To learn more about the work Jason's doing, you can find him online at jasontylerburton.com. And you can also find his new album, Kentuckian, on Apple Music, Spotify, and any online platform where good music is sold. Hey, I want to give a big shout out to Leo Franchi for supporting the podcast each month on Patreon at the executive producer level. I couldn't do this without you and all my other Patreon supporters. So thank you so much. All right. Well, that's it for today. Take care of yourselves and we will see you next time on The Fern Line. Speaking your mind, Lord knows Everybody's got to speak their mind these days But any point that is worth making Can be made while being kind So come down from your cross, man And I'll come down from mine Cause maybe we all just need A little time at the creek Stop pointing fingers, buddy Throw me a bone Pass the bottle You're in a constellation And you need a quick vacation